L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio season nine. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So I know Portlandia has kind of mocked Portland and the stereotypes mercilessly, but can I just tell you about one thing that made me fall in love with the city? Yeah, of course. What's that? So the first time I was visiting, we were staying at a friend's place in the city, and we decided to go downtown. And Lizzie's big on public transportation, so she made me take the bus. It was this super rainy day and gray, but we got on, and we had this really long bus ride. So we watched a lot of people get on and off. And here's what's amazing to me. Every single person who got on the bus thanked the bus driver as they got off it. Like, Mm. it, it was really amazing and so civil. And that day was so gray and everyone could have been miserable. But the fact that everyone, like this whole group of people, one by one, were each telling the bus driver, thank you for doing his job. I don't know. It just made me so happy. And it made me want to thank the bus driver, too. But it also made me wonder, like, why isn't every other place in the U.S. like this? Why isn't this just the expected behavior across the U.S.? And of course, as you and I both know, as full as the world is of good people, we're also plagued with horrible internet commenters and surly reality show judges and politicians who are anything but decent. And it makes you wonder, is the world getting ruder? Do scientists really believe that rudeness spreads like an infection? And what can we do to change this tide? And that's what we're talking about today. Let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikader. And sitting in the soundproof booth, sporting his, what's it say? I'm Bart Simpson, who the heck are you t-shirt. That's our pal (laughs) and producer, Tristan McNeil. That is one rude t-shirt. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. when, when the Simpsons first came out on the air and that shirt came out in fifth grade, kids in my school either had to turn their shirts around or put duct tape over the word heck. And uh, and then the shirts got banned. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember parents thinking like these kids today and shaking their heads. But 
You know, actually, that's always been the case. Kids have always been rude and parents have always complained about it. And in fact, we have the perfect person to chat with about that and all things rude. The author of a new book, F You Very Much, Understanding the Culture of Rudeness and What We Can Do About It. Danny Wallace, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. So, Danny, one of the most amazing things to me about the book, and it is truly, truly wonderful. I'm just amazed that it was inspired by a hot dog. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that story? Of course. Um, yes, it was. It was inspired by, by a hot dog. I like hot dogs. There's no crime in that. Um, and uh, there, was, there was one day where I really fancied a hot dog, and my son uh, wanted a hot dog as well. And uh, we found a place that sold hot dogs. It advertised, you know, the hot dogs that it was uh, selling. So, so really, this should have been very, very easy. And this is as long as the story should ever have been. Um, but I went inside to get the hot dog. Again, I've done it before. I know what I'm doing. Um, uh, I go in and I ask for the hot dog. But I don't know if you've ever walked in to, I don't know, to, well, anywhere really, where it just feels like the person behind the counter has already taken it against you somehow. Right. <laughs> and, and that's really how it felt. I, I, there was something in the air, some sort of vibe. And she made me pay up front, um, which I thought was unusual. Uh, you know, it wasn't just like a, a fast food thing. It was a proper kind of little diner style restaurant down by the seaside. Um, but, I, you know, I did everything that was required of me. And then I was uh, standing, waiting for it. And she'd made us kind of stand outside. And kind of 15 minutes passed. And, and that seemed like the right amount of time to pass for what should be a very quick meal to make for me to go in and ask where it was. She kept going, you don't understand how it works. And I kept going, well, I do understand how it works. You know, I eat a hot dog and you give me the hot dog. And she keeps, she keeps going, they're cooked to order. And I was like, well, I ordered one and you haven't cooked it. You know, I've been to restaurants before. That's how every restaurant works. Um, and at one point she ended up saying something very insulting. Um, or at least it sounded insulting. She, she said, uh, you're probably the sort of people who'd queue up for 40 minutes for fish and chips. Wow. I, I still to this day don't know what that means. Uh-uh. It sounds mean, though. It, it struck to the very core of me um, and uh, made me question who I was. Would I queue for 40 minutes for fish and chips? I don't know. I don't know where I am anymore. <laughs> the reason I realized that I was kind of going a bit mad with this and I was obsessing over it, because for a couple of days, like when someone's been properly, truly rude to you and they've broken those rules, it's very confusing. You end up quite bewildered. It's why people can't often come up with something witty to say in the moment. And because they disrespected you or made you feel kind of almost publicly disrespected, you are trying to claw back some of that respect somehow. And so right. it, it kept going over and over in my head. And, and uh, you know, I'd be driving around and there'd be like a lull in the conversation between me and my wife or me and my son. And then out of nowhere, I would just immediately go, that woman was unbelievable. And, and just start talking about her again. And, and uh, the, the next night I drove past the diner and it was completely dark and it was empty. And I found myself as a grown man flipping off a diner and, and with no one in it. There was no, nothing wow. to gain by doing it apart from my own sort of sanity. And that's yeah. when I realized, you know, these these rude things that happen to us, they, they send us temporarily insane, I think. Um, wow. And I wanted to find out why. I mean, I, I think one of the amazing things about it is that uh, you actually write that rudeness is airborne and that it passes from person to person like a yawn. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, science has shown that, that really rudeness does spread. It is uh, kind of contagious and it kind of spreads 
throughout an office or a school or a workplace or wherever um, in much the same way as the common cold. So those people who were sitting there, shiny-eyed, gleeful, watching you know, an altercation between a hot dogless man and, and the keeper of the hot dogs, when they saw people being rude to each other without realizing it, they will now sort of be infected. It, it will be much easier for them to be rude later on in their day. And when someone's been directly rude to you, and again, those unwritten rules kind of have been broken, um, if they've been rude to you, you're going to feel much worse in yourself. It can affect um, uh, how you relax after work. You won't be able to switch off in quite the same way. You might be snappier with your partner. Uh, your downtime won't be as uh, as downtimey as, you, as you'd like it. Your rest period won't be as restful as you'd like it. Uh, if you snap at your partner, they'll now be infected and they'll then take that rudeness elsewhere. Um, but anyone who even just witnesses the rudeness will become primed for more rudeness. So, for example, if you'd seen someone, you know, in the line for coffee this morning, be rude to the barista, even though it had nothing to do with you, later on in the day, because you've experienced that moment and it may have dredged up some kind of, you know, memories of rudeness for you and feelings of being slightly on edge, you're much more likely to now see rudeness where none was intended. So you might get an email, which is perfectly neutral in tone, and yet you will be more likely to read sarcasm into it or uh. maybe passive aggression. Um, and that person is completely oblivious. They just they put a smiley there just to be nice. But you're like, what does this smiley really mean? Right. So it, it kind of puts us all on edge, even just seeing it. So I was recently on a train and uh, I paid extra to be on a quiet car. And this person came in with their cell phone and just chatted the whole time. And I just could not ignore the person. And uh, partially because uh, they, they were bragging about themselves continuously, but also just because <laughs> I couldn't avoid listening in. And you actually have a section about half a logs. Can you talk a little bit about cell phones and why they're so annoying? Yeah, of course. Well, on one level, um, when we get onto a train and we're in public space, um, certainly I understand, uh, you know, my part, my rules. If I've got a table, I'm not going to spread my stuff all over the table. I understand I've got a little bit of the table. I'm not going to, you know, shove my legs out right in front of me because I understand that person's got their space. We, we all have these little instinctive uh, moments of respect that we pay to one another um, so that we can all, you know, get along. Uh, and when someone stands up and starts chatting away loudly on their phone and knows that everyone else must be able to hear it, uh, they're sort of removing themselves from the group. They're saying, you're a group, you lot, you're all a group, but I'm special. I'm having my phone call. And they have their phone call. And why it's so annoying for other people, if you have, you know, two old ladies sitting, you know, um, in the row behind you and they're just chatting away and laughing it's sort of fine because they're, they're chatting um, and you can hear the whole conversation. It might be annoying, but it's not necessarily rude. Why someone chatting on their phone is, is impossible to ignore um, and is, is rude is because you can only hear that half of the conversation um, that, that you're talking about, the half a log. Um, and the human brain, no matter what you're trying to do, is always hungry for a story. It's always trying to solve you know, problems. It's trying to work stuff out. So even if you're trying your best to ignore this person having their chat, your brain is trying to fill in the blanks. And and there's also the kind of the staccato 
nature of a conversation. You're trying to get into your flow, your rhythm. Um, wherever you do, whether you're driving and someone cuts you up, they disturb your flow. If you're on a train and you're reading a book and you have to read the same sentence 19 times because of the person having the chat, your flow has been interrupted. And we feel that on some level that is always uh, quite a rude thing. Um, but the, the random nature of replies on a one-sided conversation, because you don't know how long the other guy's going to talk for you know you might do a one word answer you might you might you talk for 10 minutes and you'll just hear a man going aha the whole time <laughs> so it, because it's completely unpredictable it's another reason that we find it impossible to ignore uh, and hugely annoying uh, but the rudeness certainly comes from removing yourself from the group and going no one here matters i'm talking to nigel he's had a hair transplant <laughs> <laughs> stay right there more with danny wallace right after this break Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. We're talking to Danny Wallace. You know, one of the most amazing stories in your book is about a politician in Colombia who decided to fight rudeness and to fight rudeness with mimes of all things. And I, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, this is a guy uh, I stumbled across named Antonis Mokas who is either uh, the craziest politician in the world or some kind of genius. And I (laughs) I think he's some kind of genius because he (laughs) takes problems and he sort of, he comes up with 
what seem on paper to be insane ideas, insane solutions, and yet they seem to work. And this is a guy who had been um, kind of in charge, like a, the chancellor, I think, or the rector of a, a university, uh, at Bogota University. Um, and there was like, there was kind of some student unrest one day, and there were hundreds and hundreds of students all shouting, and he was on the stage, and he was trying to calm them down, and, and they would not be calm for him. They would not listen. They would not give him the time of day. And no matter what he did on that microphone, they wouldn't shut up. And so he very calmly walked to the front of the stage, undid his belt, turned around, pulled down his trousers and showed the world his ass. No way. <laughs> At which point every student was kind of silent and slack-jawed. No one knew why he was doing this. Had he gone mad? You know, was he protesting their rudeness or was he being rude himself? And it was a massive scandal. And every sort of uh, newspaper was talking about it. Everyone was disgusted at his behavior. How could he act that way? It was so rude. Um, and he ended up having to leave his job. But because he'd done this kind of crazy thing, he was now in the public kind of consciousness. So when he then ran for mayor at a time when Bogota was seen as pretty much the most um, chaotic, let's say, city uh, in the world, and there was corruption left, right and center, they felt that this was a guy they could trust. So he was, uh, you know, put into power. But crucially, because he didn't owe anyone any favors, he could get rid of everyone um, that he felt was potentially corrupt and instead bring in a bunch of his friends, um, all of whom had crazy ideas like him. And they looked at the city and they saw what was going on and they saw that people were driving inconsiderately. They were mounting the sidewalks. They were jaywalking left, right and center. They were being uh, incredibly loud uh, when, when they shouldn't have been, you know, um, and uh, he just thought, right, what do we do here? And just as you say, um, he did something uh, a bit crazy, which was that he got rid of the vast majority of the notoriously corrupt traffic police and he replaced them with mimes. So actual <laughs> mimes. So people dressed in black, the traditional white gloves, their faces painted white. And he just unleashed this army of mimes onto the streets and said, find rude behavior, find bad behavior and call it out. So if you were someone who was, say, jaywalking and there was traffic, you know, you're putting people in danger and you're doing what you shouldn't be doing, you might look behind you and find five or six mimes who are copying you and mocking your walk completely in front <laughs> of the whole world. And it would make you think twice about doing that again. Or if you'd parked your car somewhere where you weren't allowed to park your car, you might suddenly find loads and loads of mimes surrounding your car, just pointing <laughs> at you and shaking their heads. Um, and, and what it did was um, it, it made people accountable for their actions, but it also showed everybody else that, look, there's people on your side. So these rude people, they're not being rude because, you know, we're, we're just letting them anymore. They're breaking the rules and we are sort of shaming them, but in a playful but powerful way. And the public started to join in. And he had more and more schemes that didn't just involve mimes. I mentioned people being loud. You know, they might be playing their, I guess back then, their boom boxes and their disco music, <laughs> whatever it was back then, uh, you know, loudly on the train. And suddenly a bunch of uh, fellas dressed up as Benedictine monks would get on, um, you know, and um, just put their fingers to their lips um, just to sort of <laughs> highlight, you know, their, their, their vow of silence and how you were uh, impinging upon it. So there's all these kind of it was almost like a, almost like kind of weird hidden camera moments 
except no one was really filming it. It was just there to show the public, look, we understand there's a way to behave and we're going to help you and we're going to puncture the kind of the aggression underneath it that it normally goes to. And, and we're going to show that, that you've got people on your side. And it worked to a, an astounding degree. You know, um, even homicides went down um, uh, just thanks to a series of kind of quite playful uh, things. And, and, and crucially, um, people offered to pay more tax um, just because the mayor said, listen, it'd be really lovely if you would offer to pay more tax. So it just showed that people were hungry for a non-rude world, but it felt like, like that chance had been lost at a time when Bogota had gone crazy. And mm -hmm. it just took one crazy guy to turn this around. That's really such an incredible story. So I, I do want to get back to a little bit of how rudeness affects us. And I, yeah. I know in one part you talk about how um, rudeness can sort of curb people's creativity, but I, I was also curious how rudeness can actually be dangerous in a medical context. Will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. Um, well, uh, when someone has um, been unnecessarily rude to you, um, it really does affect um, your brain. It affects the frontal lobes, which is which are responsible for kind of working memory and whatever the task at hand is. Um, and studies were done that showed that, yes, absolutely, it, it does make people less creative. So people were kind of surprised by rudeness um, and then set simple tasks. They didn't realize that the rudeness was kind of part of it. So it would happen on the way into the experiment. But the people who had experienced rudeness found themselves um, far less able to, for example, um, come up with very simple anagrams or creative uses for a brick. That was my favorite. Um, so they, they, they just couldn't come up with um, as many ideas as other people could, the people who hadn't experienced any rudeness whatsoever. And it's been sort of shown time and time again just how much this affects us. I mean, there were studies done, I think, in the 70s that showed that even just a loud noise um, changes who we are and how much empathy we have. So if you had an old woman at the top of some stairs and her shopping bag is broken and all her uh, shopping is tumbling down the stairs and oranges and tin cans, our instinct is to run to her and to help her. But science has shown that if someone nearby, and this is the crazy bit, if someone nearby is doing some gardening and has quite a loud lawnmower, it affects us um, in such a way that, that we are much less likely to go and run to that woman's aid because part of our brain is dealing with what's going on over here. So it's much the same when it comes to rudeness. Part of your brain is coping with that. And where it becomes very dangerous um, isn't when you're like a writer uh, who hasn't been served a hot dog. It, it, it's much more <laughs> when you have a position of, you know, uh, real authority or, or responsibility over other people's lives. So there were studies done in Tel Aviv with a bunch of surgeons, three groups of surgeons. And one of the groups in particular um, was told that while they were doing their simulated surgery on, a, on, a, on an infant, um, they were going to be observed by a medical professional from America. And when that medical professional came uh, over on Skype to say hello to them, he was just very rude. He was very dismissive. He said he had no real respect for the uh, medicinal community uh, in, uh, in Tel Aviv and that uh, you know, he wishes them well nonetheless. And when they went and did their surgery, um, uh, it was shown afterwards by an independent group that that team in particular, those uh, bunch of surgeons who had experienced rudeness, became 50% less effective at the surgery they were doing. 
They didn't communicate well. They picked up the wrong instruments. They would become fixated on the original diagnosis so that if something changed um, that was really obvious, um, they they would kind of ignore it because they couldn't deal with it at that time. They didn't resuscitate properly. And essentially, um, the infant in the simulation would have died had it been an actual surgery. So that's when you start to see that, you know, rudeness, which cuts to the very core of who we are and makes us feel disrespected and confuses us and bewilders us. In those situations, that's when big accidents can happen. Medical Mm -hmm. errors can happen. It's been shown that truck drivers with rude dispatchers miss more stop signs. Um, So anyone, you know, if you have an airline pilot, you know, at least when they've had a drink, you know, you can uh, you can sort of see their glassy eyes or, or see them sway around. But there's there are no clues when it comes to rudeness and what someone may have just experienced. And and that's when when I was writing the book, I started to realize just how dark this can kind of get, because we've always found rudeness to be quite um, amusing. And we love, you know, rude people in sitcoms, whether it's Basil Fawlty or the Soup Nazi or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we love changing stories, you know, about rudeness. But we don't really appreciate that it is genuinely um, a silent killer. If, if someone's been rude to a doctor in the morning, it can affect the next five patients. So suddenly you start to see how it can affect all of us. And when you've got the world's rudest man in the, in the world's most powerful position, um, then you start to have problems. Yeah, it's a, well, those, those are all scary situations, though. I don't think you should minimize the hot dog thing. I'm, I still can't get over it that you didn't get a hot dog for an hour and a minute. It will stay with you for quite some time. Yeah. The tragedy of that day. You know, there, there is a great story in the beginning of the book about someone who joins ISIS and is put off by the rudeness of that movement. And now obviously ISIS isn't something that we laugh about, but, but honestly, that story was so funny. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. This was, um, this was a fella who, uh, who, who decided to flee Britain, Omar Hussein. And he left his job as a, uh, I think he was a security guard in a supermarket. And uh, he, he fled um, for, the, for the deserts where he could train um, with, uh, with ISIS. And, and really, I put the story in to show that, you know, we all have different standards. We're all quite different people. Um, and yet there are some things that unite almost everyone. Because he had gone, he'd fled to the desert um, in order to essentially help bring down the very sort of tenets of Western civilization. Um, and do kind of unspeakable things and train for atrocities. Um, but when he got there, he, he just found himself uh, constantly annoyed um, because this, this great brotherhood that he'd expected of people that thought like him and, and, and wanted to attack the West um, sometimes would just um, unplug his phone and steal his phone charger for a while, which he thought was one step too far, even for ISIS. <laughs> um, or, or, or sometimes they'd sort of, um, he'd, he'd, he'd take his shoes off to have a prey, and then uh, he'd be like, where are my shoes? And he'd look up, and, and there'd be another uh, ISIS member who'd just taken his shoes. And he was like, this is, this is not what I joined ISIS for. Right. You know, we've got to have standards <laughs> here. And he would make dinner for them sometimes, and he'd just be like, can you all just pipe down? Because we're all, like, grabbing at the food. And he's like, we've got to have a system here. And he was just – basically, he, he was very disappointed at how immature um, uh, and, and how uh, badly brought up um, a lot of terrorists seem to be these days. Um, and it just made me think that, you know, <laughs> even a man in this situation who has turned his back on all sorts of Western conventions and all sorts of um, – 
standards of treating each other, even he uh, can find himself annoyed at the kind of the minor injustices and sort of uh, everyday monsters of polite society. <laughs> yeah, you got you to draw the line somewhere, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't last five minutes in ISIS, I tell you. I'd be so annoyed. <laughs> You do talk a little bit about a, a, a rudeness vaccine that they were testing on doctors. Uh, what exactly yeah. would that involve? Well, it was great because this was just like a passing comment that um, one of the scientists that I, I talked to said. Um, and his name is Amir Erez. And I think he's great. And there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of these sort of, like me, rudeness nerds, kind of like skulking <laughs> about in the shadows, sort of stamping their little feet and going, why can't everything be better? Um, and Amir entered into sort of rudeness studies, if you like, um, uh, by thinking it was nonsense. Uh, he, he just thought, oh, you know, rudeness doesn't have an effect on anybody. It's just just a thing. It's just a thing that happens in your day. And he started to look into it almost like just as a bet with one of his colleagues. And he told me, he said, every time I look into it, I find something else. And what I usually find is shocking. Um, and he, we were talking about the doctor's thing and, and the idea that, you know, like I say, um, someone being rude to a doctor doesn't just affect, uh, uh, you know, the next person the doctor sees, but five people, um, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a row can be affected, according to the studies, by a moment of rudeness. And I, I said to him, you know, it's a silent killer. It's a sort of, you know, we, we, we need to be taking this a bit more seriously. Uh, and and he just sort of threw it away, this this idea that he said, you know, we're, we're sort of working on a vaccine. And I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about, a vaccine? And it's kind of a video game that doctors can play at the very start of their day before anyone has even thought about being rude to them. So it's almost like an inoculation. And they play this game and they're still working on it. But however it works and whatever it does... Um, helps to sort of free up those frontal lobes that often, like I say, um, get bogged down in the rudeness of things. So I suppose it just protects them. And whatever mental exercises it puts these doctors through just helps them to, I suppose, take a breath or perhaps uh, take a step back from the situation. Um, so I, I can't wait to find out more about it. They're, they're going to be starting more studies. But it does show that A, rudeness is being taken seriously and B, step are being made um, to to help us all deal with it um, because you know when every time you get in a car you know you, you're at danger um, a situation escalating well we've got several more questions for you Danny but we'll be right back with part-time genius after the break L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. 
with the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. We're talking to Danny Wallace, the author of F You Very Much, Understanding the Culture of Rudeness and What We Can Do About It. So I, I wanted to ask you about internet trolls because we started a blog very early uh, at our former jobs and, and it was sort of this warm and welcoming culture of people who read the posts and stuff. And it slowly ah. grew into more of an aggressive community and, and more people were more liberated to be trolly. And so... Yeah. I, our explanation was always it really is the anonymity of this that that people are just you know at home behind their screens but you have a bit of a, a tweaked uh, reason for it uh, could, could you explain that yeah i think we've always traditionally said you know it's it's the anonymity um of the internet that is uh, that is the problem and certainly um it is quite freeing um it allows um you know the anonymity in in a sense is is a beautiful thing because in the early days it meant that People who, for example, um, felt uncomfortable coming out could could find other people um, like them, but didn't feel that they were risking anything at that at that point. And they could they could find other people like them who were at the same point in time and, and encourage each other. And it was seen as quite you know it was a, a great thing. And then of course uh, the rise of uh, of the of the trolls um, uh, it just made us immediately think. Well, actually, anonymity is a terrible thing. What studies have shown is, is, is really it's a lack of eye contact that is the huge problem. Um, I was talking earlier uh, about uh, how difficult it is uh, to have you know, the looking glass um, held up to you if you're a rude person because you, you see yourself through the eyes of others. That's why it's also very difficult for people to be uh, certainly as rude to each other's uh, faces because you're, there's something called the looking glass self, which is we are always looking into the eyes of others for how we are coming across. Does this person like me? Have I offended them? How am I doing you know, in life in their eyes? Um, and a lack of eye contact with, with the internet means that people can be free to be as rude as they want. Again, tests were done in Haifa, I think, in Israel, um, where they had an office full of people and some of them um, were made to just sit opposite the person they had to kind of work with uh, and some had to use like instant messenger or something to uh, to to work together with people 
And they found far and away that the, the people who would be much more aggressive with each other were the ones who simply couldn't see each other. So, you know, it's, it's, there is a certain freedom in, in the anonymity, but there's, I, I would say there's much more freedom in, in knowing that person just can't see you. I, I know that you referred to a certain politician and some celebrity judges and Basil Fawlty. Why do you think it is that we are so attracted to rudeness? Well, I think we're at a point where rudeness um, is sort of helping people achieve strange ambitions. Um, rudeness, uh, more than ever, uh, is everywhere, and it's getting worse. And it tumbles from our phones, and every time we switch on the TV um, – Two people who are pretending to be journalists are having a fight, um, uh, you know, about whatever's just happened on cable news. And then they bring in another person uh, and and it just feels angrier and narrower and coarser. And everyone's got to have an opinion on everything all the time, even if they know nothing about the thing they, they're trying to say they've got the opinion on. And the opinion has to be put in, in, in a very short and forthright way to cut through the noise of everyone else's opinions and must then be broadcast to everybody else because we're all so important. Um, uh, the people on reality TV shows, it's just taught us that meanness uh, should be rewarded because they're the people who make the edit. Um, the, the highest paid talent judges are always the mean ones. Um, so everywhere we turn, we're being kind of taught that, that to be rude, to be to lack empathy in a, in a sense, um, it is a good thing. You know, um, journalists find they get more clicks if 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 they if they write the horrible thing in a horrible way. Um, so so it, it, I, I sort of felt this kind of this groundswell and, and it came at a time where, you know, like Trump, for example, um, yeah, a lot of what he ran on was this this kind of maverick sort of I tell it like it is. I'm only being honest. I'm just saying what everyone else is thinking. And and those are all things that came from reality TV as well. You know, all these people going, I just tell it like it is. I'm a truth teller. You know, it's refreshing. You can't argue with it. And really, when these people say they're being honest, they're not being honest at all. They're just putting forward an opinion. Saying it's just honest, it's like this get out clause because we're suddenly not allowed to argue with you if you're being honest. And in fact, we've got to all stand around and applaud you for being so brave as to be honest. And so for, for whatever reason, reality TV, online personas, the rise of uh, powerful, rude people, um, we're kind of being taught again and again that rudeness works and politeness is weak. I think that's the thing. Now thinking about it, I think that's what I'm getting at, is that we see manners as weakness, and we see empathy as weakness, and we see rudeness as strength. Well, actually, along those lines, you talk about the possibility of empathy training in schools and, and how it could help teenagers at that stage in their lives. I mean, what, what would that look like, do you think? Well, yeah, it, it's a strange one. I mean, you know, part of me kind of balks at uh, phrases like that, kind of empathy training, because it just sounds so wishy-washy and sort of uh, a bit nonsensical. It's like, how can you train for empathy? Um, and yet, uh, people have sort of shown in, 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 uh, in studies that it sort of can be taught and it can be exercised like a muscle, you know, it can be grown in people. And I suppose it's just highlighting, um, you know, here, basically it boils down to this um, rudeness um, 
is just kind of ignoring how another person feels and just doing what you feel, no matter who gets hurt. And politeness tends to be a system um, uh, of sort of shared empathy. You know, um, I think etiquette is so outdated, but politeness is, is really the main thing. And that just means, you know, you're slightly happier when someone says, please. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, you feel seen when someone says thank you. If you hold a door open just for a couple of seconds for someone who's, you know, struggling with some bags, you both feel better for it. Um, and and these are things that we learn instinctively and we have used for millennia. And it's a system that works. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that, that turning our back on that empathy is, is a bad thing. I'm not sure I would, I, you know, I, I, we would need empathy training in schools but but for the kids. But perhaps, um, I don't know, perhaps perhaps just highlighting uh, how people are seen through the eyes of others is a good thing, which essentially is what the guy in Colombia was doing. You know, mm-hmm. he was holding a looking glass up to those people, like almost a sort of, you know, it sort of is the looking glass a mime, isn't it? Because the mime was mimicking them and showing them what they were doing. So it was kind of a, a mobile mirror. Um, yeah. And when you see your own actions through the eyes of others and how you're coming across, that's when you tend to change your behavior. Well, it's such a strange but uh, but interesting idea. And, and honestly, even the idea that a mime or, God forbid, multiple mimes might show up if I do something <laughs> rude would probably <laughs> influence my behavior anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all know what we're getting you for your birthday. Mimes. <laughs> well, Danny, this has been a ton of fun. Not rude at all. I'm so happy about how polite we've all been to one another today. <laughs> you've, you've, been, you've been absolutely wonderful. You should be very proud. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I hope all of our listeners will check out the book. It's F You Very Much, Understanding the Culture of Rudeness and What We Can Do About It. But Danny, thanks so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Jerry Rowland does the exec producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eves Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Jason who? girlfriends it's me carol fisher back with another season of the global number one podcast the girlfriends last time we investigated the murder of gail katz this time we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio season nine. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. This season, 
We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Voice. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.